You're listening to Double Edged Sword, the podcast channel of Pastor Kilgo, where we dig into the Holy Scriptures to be instructed in the truth, to stand in the light, and have eternal life. May you be richly blessed by the Lord and His Word. A reading from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now one of the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet, who is in Samaria. Would that he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, My God, to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans chapter 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading from Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Jesus comes before us this morning and performs these two wonderful miracles. The first, the healing of the leper, and the second, the healing of the centurion's servant. And each of these shows us something a little bit different about the nature of our prayers. First, that our prayers rest on God's will, and second, that our prayers rest on God's word. Now, we need a little bit of context to to see this, uh, because in the background of this whole thing is Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So you remember, Jesus starts preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and he finishes it up uh, at chapter 7. So this is the beginning of chapter 8, so what's just happened is Jesus has just concluded all of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And particularly, we want to rehear these these two things that come in chapter 7, right before we have these accounts of the leper and the centurion. So in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he's told us this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is reminding us here that we have been given access through him to his Father who is now our Father, that we can come to him in prayer in the same way that we come to our earthly fathers and ask them for good things. This is what we're reminded of in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, for example, our Father in heaven. What does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and we are his true children. 
so that with all boldness and confidence, we can approach him as dear children approach their dear father. Whatever you would ask your father for, you'd ask your heavenly father for, and in fact, much more than that. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, a few verses later, Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And Jesus is reminding us here that faith, which is built upon the foundation of hearing God's word, will be able to withstand even the worst of the storms that our lives may send to us because it has it has built upon an unshakable foundation in God's word and especially of his promises of forgiveness and of eternal life and of everlasting salvation. This is what we just sang about uh, at the beginning of the service. I know my faith is founded on Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, and this my faith confessing, unmoved I stand on his sure word. Our reason cannot fathom the truth of God's of God profound who trusts in human wisdom relies on shifting ground. God's word is all sufficient. It makes divinely sure and trusting in its wisdom, our faith will rest secure. This is what Jesus is preaching. And when he's done preaching these things, he's coming down the mountain and he's confronted with a whole myriad of people. If you look at uh, Matthew chapter eight, it's just a whole litany of different uh, healing miracles and, and other things that Jesus is doing all on the heels of this great teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And the first two then are what we have today. So we get this leper who first comes to him. Now, already this is a little bit weird because if you are a leper, you're not supposed to go toward people. You are supposed to go away from people. In fact, this was in the ancient world, there was a, a whole set of um, things that were set up uh, for the lepers. When they would walk around, they would always be moving away from other people. And if they did start moving towards someone, they would start calling out unclean, unclean, unclean. And you kind of make a a way for the lepers to move through because you didn't want to come in contact with them because if you can't came in contact with someone who's unclean, you became unclean yourself. And there was this whole process you had to go through to get uh, back to being clean. And so you can picture here, this leper already is doing the wrong thing, so to speak. He's uh, moving towards Jesus. And you can hear in the background that he's yelling out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And there's just this path that gets opened up, kind of like the Red Sea, but with people leading to Jesus. And he comes up to Jesus and he gives him this petition. He asks Jesus to heal him. Now, this is someone who's apparently in this crowd that's been listening to Jesus. That's the indication of the text. So he's just heard Jesus say, which of you uh, having a child, if they asked you for bread, would give him a stone. And he's heard this, and he's taking Jesus at his word. Well, this is my Lord, and if I ask him for something, according to his will, he's going to give it to me. And so he just goes up in full boldness of faith, and he asks him, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus marvelously says, I will be clean. And it's done. And we have this same sort of boldness in our prayer, or should at least, this boldness in our prayer as well, because this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. We, we pray, thy will be done. Now, there, there's a kind of hierarchy to this, though. There, there are some things in which the Lord just simply doesn't have a will for them. 
So for example, the Lord does not have a particular will of what socks you put on today. He doesn't have a particular will of what car you drive. He doesn't have a particular will of what school you go to. Like th these are things that are with that he has given you freedom to choose in this life. And he does guide us in wisdom, but they are ultimately your, your decisions. Um, there, there are other things that maybe we would say that the Lord does have a will in, but are unknown to us, is what we call his hidden will. And these are the prayers to which we generally attach, um, if it be your will, because we simply do not know. And these are things like um, getting a particular job or uh, where we're going to live, um, whether we're going to be married and have children, how long we're going to be alive. And especially we get this when we pray for, for illnesses, that we pray, if it be your will, uh, let this illness be healed. But we pray nonetheless. The important thing is that we pray. We come to him in all boldness and confidence, asking him for these things, because he's bid us to do that. And we pray that his will would be done. And our faith trusts that, he hears these prayers and he answers them according to his will and in his time. Now, I think that this is why we tend to be surprised when we pray for something, especially when we pray for healing and then it happens and we're surprised by it, is that at a kind of a deep down level, we don't really believe that God is hearing these prayers and is going to answer them. So we pray that someone would be healed from cancer, for example, and then they're healed from cancer and we're kind of surprised by it. I think that's poking a little bit of a hole in uh, in our faith or showing where we've got holes in our faith and where we can endeavor to uh, trust in the Lord a little bit better. But then there are other things that we do know God's will about that he reveals to us in the scripture. We know, for example, that it is the will of God that we know his scriptures. We know that it is the will of God that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It is the will of God that we repent of our sins and live. It's the will of God that we be forgiven of our sins through the shed blood of Christ. And it's the will of God that we would be raised on the last day, even as Christ our Lord would be raised. We know these things. He just tells us this, this is God's will for us. And so we pray for those things as well, not attaching, though, to those if it is your will, because we know it and trusting that he will make it happen. So, for example, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, we don't attach if it's your will. We know it is, and we trust that he actually does in that prayer forgive our sins through all the myriad ways that he's promise to do so. And then, even more amazingly than all of this, this is wonderful to begin with, more amazingly than that, Jesus then touches this man into, in order to heal him. And, and this, this is where it's completely the opposite of what you're expecting to happen. Because Jesus is, one, not even supposed to be near the unclean leper, much less to touch him. Normally, when something unclean touches something clean, both things become unclean. So this is kind of like if you've got a kid that's out rolling around in the mud, and they come inside, and they give you a big hug. Both of you are muddy. It's that sort of idea. But in this case, it would be, what's amazing about this is now Jesus' cleanliness rubs off on the unclean leper and makes him clean. That, that's the amazing thing that's happening here. So it'd be like the kid goes and rolls around in the mud, and he comes back in and gives you a hug, and all of a sudden, the mud's gone. That's, that's what's happening. That's, that is the miracle that is going on here. And, and this is the great thing for us as well, that Jesus is not afraid of our sin. He doesn't avoid our sin. He's not grossed out by our sin. It doesn't surprise him. In fact, he comes for that purpose, to take it into himself in order that it would be forgiven. Jesus comes to you and he touches your sin in order to heal it. 
in order to forgive it. The, the, the church has long equated leprosy and sin with one another. In fact, a lot of the, the collects of the ancient church would talk about the leprosy of sin. Uh, I'd put it into these terms. And so the Lord does this for us, and he does it in an astonishing way. He comes to us, especially at the altar, and he touches our sin with his body and with his blood in order to cleanse us. This is like, for example, what we have in the confession of Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And this is precisely, dear saints, what is happening with you at the rail every time you receive Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we learn then through the leper to approach God in prayer according to his will, trusting that he hears and he answers us according to it. And then we get the centurion who shows up. And the centurion is teaching us a bit about God's word and prayer. And he comes up and he makes these two astounding statements. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, and your word alone is enough to fill my petition. He comments, he makes this uh, uh, analogy that as a centurion, he's able also to command people. People are under authority, uh, under his own authority. And he can tell them to go here and they go there and do this and they do this. And then he says, I can say to my servant, uh, get up, and, and he does it. Uh, ironically, he's coming specifically because his range of authority to speak and tell people to do stuff has run out with his servant. He can't tell his servant to get up and do anything any longer because he's paralyzed. He, he can say it, but nothing's going to happen. And so he comes to the one guy who he knows actually does have the authority to command this, the centurion servant to get up. Jesus, who marvels at the faith of the centurion, and he un, who understands Jesus' own words, uh, simply speaks a word then, and it's done. This is the, the power and the authority and the efficacy of God's word, that God's word travels through space. It travels across the land of Capernaum, and it strikes the centurion servant who's laying there paralyzed, and he's healed and gets up. In fact, the Lord's word is so powerful that it's not just bound to the land of Capernaum. When the, when the Lord speaks, it goes wherever he wants it to go and accomplishes whatever he wants it to accomplish. And so his word is powerful enough to travel across the entire Middle East and across the Atlantic Ocean and across the eastern seaboard and into the interior of the United States, into Kansas, into Lawrence, into this church, and to heal you. Now you go the other way through Asia and stuff. That seems like uh, a bit of a roundabout way, and I don't know that the Holy Spirit takes the scenic route. So it comes across all of that, but it, it not only does that, but it comes across time as well that these words that are spoken 2,000 years ago still continue to echo throughout time and strike you here today and every single time that we gather. And not only can it speak across space and across time, but it can speak down into the depths so that it can speak all the way deep down into your heart and your mind. And it can speak all the way down into your conscience. And it can speak even all the way down into your grave. And this is the wonderful thing, that Jesus is always calling people out of the grave. And there, there's a wonderful comment that the uh, church fathers would have on this, that the reason why Jesus says, Lazarus, get up, is that if he had said just get up or come out, that all the graves of Jerusalem would have been opened because his word is that powerful, which is a wonderful thought. Now, when we combine these two parables together, 
we get this wonderful picture of God's will and God's word coming together in our, in our prayers and what it is that's happening here. And so we see that it's God's will that we pray to him and that he hears you and that he answers those prayers. And so, in accord with his will, he speaks to you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, etc. And it is so with those words. Your Father who delights to hear you answers you according to his will. It is God's will that your sins would be forgiven. And so he speaks to you. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it is so. You are forgiven all your sins. It's God's will that you would have a good conscience and leave this place in peace and joy. And so he speaks to you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full and that in me, and that in me your, you may have my joy. And it is so. You leave this place with God's peace and with God's joy. It's God's will that you would lead a godly life according to his will, by his word and through his aid. And so he speaks to you. You, my people, shall be holy. You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's so at his word. You are holy and you are righteous and you're perfect. It's God's will that you would be raised to eternal life and dwell with him eternally in heavenly righteousness and innocence and blessedness. And so he speaks to you, even in your grave. Arise, come out, and it's done. And you are alive in Christ forevermore. God's will and his word are perfect, and they are for you, and this is how we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Double-Edged Sword. If you appreciate the channel, please consider supporting it by going over to my Patreon page, which you can find linked in the description. You can also find other content on the YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.